It's Sunday, March 26, 2017. God is the highest good of the reasonable creature. The enjoyment of Him is our proper and is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven, to fully enjoy God, is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Better than fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of any or all earthly friends. These are but shadows, but the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. This quote by Jonathan Edwards, spoken in a sermon dating all the way back to 1733, still rings true in 2017. We are pleasure seekers. We want to be satisfied. And we don't just seek it, we crave it. And when we don't get it, or experience the opposite of it, we suffer. Our bodies were designed for pleasure. No human being doesn't want to be satisfied. We see the goodness of emotional pleasure revealed in the heart of a mother when she holds her newborn child for the first time. We see the goodness of physical pleasure revealed through marital intimacy. There are many things to be enjoyed here on this earth. God has blessed us, believers and non-believers alike, with many good gifts that bring pleasure and satisfaction. To name a few, family, relationships, children, talents, abilities, sex, food, and don't forget taste buds. This list could go on for quite some time. There are very few things in this world that could be considered pure evil, purely demonic. But with that being said, our hearts before conversion are evil. And after conversion, even with a new heart, we wrestle with the flesh. We wrestle with perceptions of reality. When God calls us out of darkness and into His marvelous light, we don't stop becoming pleasure seekers. The problem isn't that we're pleasure seekers. The problem is created when we take a good thing from God and enjoy it according to our Godless parameters. Humanity takes sex, a mysteriously wonderful gift indeed, and throws God completely out of the equation. Humanity takes food, a substance that could easily just be tasteless nutrition, yet God gives us taste, and we make it into a crutch, to which our moods are dependent upon. Humanity takes family, a precious gift from above, and turns it into an idol, to be treasured more than the one who gave that family in the first place. I could name any good gift from above and explain how humanity has distorted it. We have a bad reputation of taking good things and making them bad. We are unadulterated abusers of God's gifts. When we treasure the gifts more than we treasure the giver, we in reality worship the shadows, not the substance, the beams, not the sun, the drops, but not the ocean. So the question is, are we fully satisfied in Christ? Do we enjoy Him above all things? Or do we see the things of this world to be more desirable? Do we find our ultimate satisfaction in finite things or infinite things? Finite things pass away. Infinite things, well, don't. Faith in finite things leads to death. Faith in Him who is eternal leads to life. Scripture has a few warnings and admonitions concerning this point. Jesus warned us in Matthew, saying, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, 
and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Paul, in his letter to the church in Colossae, writes, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And Elijah, when he proclaimed to the Israelites, saying, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. I want to focus on that last one for just a second. Who is God? Is God who he says he is? Is he Yahweh, Elohim, Adonai, El Shaddai, Jehovah Sidkenu? Or are our children, our families, our wives, maybe sexes, possibly academics? Maybe food is Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Jireh. We must decide what or who God is and then worship them. Our worship cannot be divided. That was Elijah's entire point. Of course, only a fool would bow down and worship another human, or something that's not even alive. But that's exactly what we do as fallen creatures in a fallen world. Where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And where our heart is, is where our worship will be found. But we can't have it both ways. We can't claim to ultimately treasure God, all the while ultimately treasuring a thousand other things. Jesus said we can't have two masters. We can't love the things of this world and also have the love of the Father in us. This is not a call to abstain from enjoying anything in the world, but rather a warning not to desire the gifts instead of the giver of gifts. It's a call not to look like those in Romans 1 who worship the creature rather than the Creator. In Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments are given to Moses, and number one reads, quote, You shall have no other gods before me. Not surprisingly, the first two commandments deal with idolatry, which God abhors above all things. But while as Christians we celebrate this commandment, do we actually follow it? Any quote-unquote good Christian would say that they do, but what does it mean for God to command us to have no other gods before him? It does not mean the following. I can treasure as many gods as I want, as long as God is number one in my life. That's a phrase we throw around a lot in Christian circles. Is God number one in your life? But God is not to be number one in your life only. He is to be your life. Paul confirmed this when he said, quote, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. For God to say that he wants no gods before him is to say he wants no gods in the presence of him. In the original Hebrew, to say the words before me literally meant in front of my face. So God is saying, I don't just want to be number one. I want to be the only one. I want to be the only one that your heart longs for, not just another thing to compete for your affections. It's as if God is saying, get those idols out of my face. Ray Fowler, pastor of Plantation Community Church in Florida, says, quote, It is sort of like a wife and her husband. 
A wife doesn't just want to be number one out of a whole line of lovers; she wants to be the only one. It is not just a matter of priority putting God first; it goes far beyond that. It is not that we make God number one, then family number two, job number three, hobbies number four, and so on. God numbers one through a hundred, one through a thousand, one through infinity. We love our spouses, we love our families, we work hard at work, and pursue outside interests all out of a love for God. He must be supreme in everything. End quote. God is to be our treasure. Anything else we cherish is to be a natural outflowing of our love for the Father. Ultimately, Jesus painted this picture best when he said to the masses, quote, "If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife and children, and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple." Jesus was not saying here that we must have hatred in our heart for everything but him, but that when we compare our love for him. With our love for anything else, the latter loves are going to look like hate in comparison. So the question is: Are you a disciple of Jesus? If you would answer yes, why would you say that? What would be your reasoning behind that answer? If we have found our ultimate satisfaction in something other than Jesus, then we can't claim to be one of God's children. God commands us to love Him with everything we've got. Are we striving to love Him with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength, or are we endeavoring to stretch our soul love to countless other things and leaving God the scraps? We must all examine our hearts if we are to find the answer to this all-important question. If you have time, check out Matt Papa's song "The Ocean," written as an homage to Jonathan Edwards' quote that was at the beginning. Of this podcast.